0: Welcome to 501 Crossroads. 501 Crossroads is your show all about nonprofits and the people that make the mission happen. I'm Marjorie Moore, I'm the executive director of Minds Eye, and my personal mission is to make nonprofits stronger by identifying and fixing the rubs that so often come up between
1: people and the mission. I have my co-host Natalie Javonsky, the nonprofit ninja. That's right, specializing in helping nonprofits maximize their time, talent, and resources to achieve organizational greatness. And today we have a fantastic guest with us as well. We really
0: do. Um, We have Tracy Bianco. Tracy Bianco is a communications catalyst, Leadership and development communication skills, and she owns Brightside Training Solutions. Welcome, Tracy.
2: Thank
1: you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Fantastic. Tracy, tell us a little bit more about yourself.
2: Sure, sure. Let me tell you a little bit about my background and what brought me to Brightside Training Solutions. My career actually started off as an elementary school teacher. So oh, for about 12 years, I was uh, the person standing at the front of the classroom, guiding the kids, getting them to listen and learn, and teaching them all the wonderful things about respecting others. and and just being good people on an overall basis. After 12 years of that, I left the world of education. I went into the business world. I began working for a business that provides services to law firms. And what I learned really quickly is that those lessons that teachers try to get through to children don't always transfer over into the world of adults. So what I noticed in those 12 years was that there was a lot of disrespect happening and lack of professionalism. And I just felt like I didn't fit in that world. So rather than going back to the classroom, I decided to do something a little bit differently. And I began my own training, speaking, and coaching business where I work with adults, working with them on the the skills that they didn't necessarily pick up in school and ways to be kind and respectful while they're getting the job done. So what a great
1: what a great way to kick off our segment then. Today is all about the power of public speaking. Yes. And you know, <laughs> I, I don't understand it, but apparently everyone that I know is frightened of public speaking. They're scared of it. I think I've even mentioned before that it's like the number two uh, most feared thing. Uh, number one, of course, being, I think, death. And it's mm-hmm. like, wow, oh. it's... I, <laughs> I've actually heard the opposite. I've heard that people are
0: actually more scared of public speaking than death. Which maybe they're thinks- afraid they'll
1: we'll die. Sp- they'll die public speaking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's well, funny? There's actually a
2: Jerry Seinfeld joke where he says, "If that's true, like I've heard it the way yeah. you said, Marjorie. If that's true, more people would prefer to be in the coffin than giving the eulogy." Absolutely. If would go along with that.
1: <laughs> well, I have to wonder. You know, you referenced you were a school teacher. Yes. I wonder if this the fear comes from somewhere as we were growing up. Of public speaking. You know, I can remember. The, the spelling bee, here it came and you yes. ever had to line up against the wall, you know, it's. Yes. it's uh, I think one of the comedians I know says it's public humiliation time. <laughs> uh, but, you know, that fear of all eyes on you. And if you spell it wrong, what do you have to do? You have to sit down and Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know if maybe it's that. It's the idea of perhaps reading out loud and mm-hmm. the fear of hearing other kids snickering growing up. Or where do you think you
2: have you, heard, you have any theories on this? You know, it, it's interesting as, as you went through those two examples, I pictured myself not back in the classroom as a teacher, but back in the classroom as a student. Yes. And I remember feeling like that. So when I was uh, a teacher, standing in front of the kids was n- never made me nervous, but when I got into the field I'm in now, I vividly remember the first day in front of a group of adults and it was an eight hour training session that I was wow. going to be doing. And I looked out and saw all those eyeballs looking at me. And my first thought went to, what in the world did I get myself into here? <laughs> so, so even people that are in the business, you know, we have those thoughts and fears. And, and I do think. Much of it does go back to our childhood. What, what we bring into it, what we remember about other people watching us, other people, as you said, sometimes snickering at us and and the self-confidence that goes into being in front of people. That makes perfect sense.
1: Marjorie, in nonprofit world, how many times have you seen a, a speaker that you think, oh, they could do so much better, or you almost feel bad for them when they're presenting because they're struggling through it. It's like every conference, and
0: so much of it, I think, is you know either they, they don't look prepared or they look so nervous. Mm-hmm. I mean, the nerves that get to you and almost paralyze you. I, I, I just I feel for people who have that problem. Um, you know, going back to the we were talking about reading aloud. Despite where I work, I'm a terrible terrible at reading aloud, and I hated public speaking until I realized that I can memorize or just have notes. Mm-hmm. Once I realized I could do that. Public speaking is great. I love doing it. But man, if if you ask me to read aloud, um, you can maybe tell by the show open. It's not my thing, but it's finding those strengths, and I think that's so much it has to be so important about what you do, Tracy. Yes, it's finding people's strengths so that they can can use them to do better. Exactly, and
2: the example that you just gave, Marjorie, shows that you have found tricks that work for you. Oh, I can write myself a few notes. That makes me feel better. Mm-hmm. Oh, I can do it in this way. That helps me feel better. So it, it's the little things that, it, and they're different for each person. But what is it that will help make you feel more comfortable, more confident? That's what's going to make the Public speaking on an overall basis successful.
1: That's a great transition. So Tracy, let's talk about that because I think our listeners are really fascinated about how they can reduce their own fear factor and whether you're a skilled presenter Mm -hmm. or you're just beginning. If you say you're not scared or you don't have butterflies, you're probably lying to yourself. At some point, you know, there's this nerve factor. Mm -hmm. So
2: what can we do to really help to eliminate that fear factor? Sure, sure. Good question. Uh, Well, first of all, it's important to know that in order to have success with public speaking, we need the knowledge or the competence, and we need confidence. When we put those together in a math equation, I'll go back to my teaching world, uh, (laughs) public speaking is 20% knowledge, 20% what you know, and 80% how you feel about what you know. So you think about when you're getting in front of a group of people to relay the message about your knowledge, Nonprofit, it's really important, of course, that you know your stuff. You've you've got to know what it is you're going to talk about, but probably even more important, it's the confidence that you bring in. So being able to tell yourself prior to going in front of the group of people, hey, I got this. I, I know my stuff. I know what my message is. I believe in the message. And these people need to hear that message as well. And so building yourself up, building that confidence is what's going to make the message come across much more smoothly. And I think, too, there's
1: some times where you are getting up in front of an audience and your first thought is, oh, these people know so much more than me. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so we kind of psych ourselves out of that, especially in the nonprofit world. there are, We are blessed in the greater St. Louis metropolitan area to have so many people who are in the nonprofit sector and who have been in that leadership role for so many years mm-hmm. that we respect and we use as mentors and guidance and you look out, all it takes is one of those people to be in the audience and instantly <laughs> what you thought yeah. you knew, you start to go, oh, but they're going to know so much more than me and I hope that I'm saying this right and it's that mm-hmm. second guessing. So I think Absolutely. that's a great formula. And I think I have, I've got to say, I feel like it's harder to actually sometimes
0: give a presentation to peers. So going out and talking about what you know, maybe at an AFP conference or something like that, mm-hmm. than going out and talking to a group of lions who don't know anything about what you do um, and, you know, talking about it from yeah. that basis, uh, you know, it, it always, feels harder to talk to the experts than the people that are, that are just there to listen. I think,
1: well, and I, I think it goes back to that peer pressure world mm-hmm. of when you're in front of your peers, you know, what, yeah. what will their feedback yeah. be? And if if you don't know the audience and they don't know you, then you don't have to worry about you know, running into that fear, that fear factor as
2: much. Yeah. Absolutely. And one of the things that has really helped me get over that fear when I'm in front of peers or when I look out in the audience and see somebody and I think, oh my gosh, he knows so much more about this than I do. I've never gone as a participant or as, as an audience member to, to any speaking event where I, as the audience member, haven't learned something. So if the information that the person is sharing is information that I already know, then I'm picking up tips on uh, that person's confidence. I'm picking up tips on the body language he or she uses. I'm always learning something. And that has really helped me when I'm in presenter mode, knowing, hey, some of these people might know this information, but they're going to learn something. I know they're going to learn something from me. I know my stuff. And and again, it goes back to the confidence.
0: Now when you're talking about body language what are you looking at there what's what is it about body language that makes us that makes such an impression on a presentation
2: well you know we talked a short time ago about maybe going to a a conference where we're watching the speaker that is not doing a great job mm-hmm. many times the things that we see that aren't going well are body language items ah. and so when we think about some of the things that maybe we've witnessed that we think oh that looks really odd so for for instance we know that we're supposed to use uh, great eye contact. Some people got that memo just a little too much. And so, you know, they use the eye contact where they don't blink. They don't quickly look away. You feel like your eyeballs are being burned out. Yeah. And and when you're that person in the audience, and, and honestly, it just happened for me recently. I was in the audience and gentleman was speaking and he, he locked eyes with me and he would not look away. So as the audience member, my mind was really going, okay, so is it, is it appropriate for me to look away? Should I blink? Does this seem rude? Should I keep looking at him like he's looking at me? So it became such a thing mm-hmm. I could not have even told you what his message was because my mind was focused on his his bad eye contact. So, uh, keeping in mind the things that we know, uh, if you if you're in a situation where you're standing when you're when you're delivering the message to the group, making sure you use the space appropriately. You don't want to be you know skipping around by any means, but but just standing still and very stiff, people notice that more than they notice your message. So being very, as natural as you can possibly be, using the gestures that you usually use, using appropriate eye contact, uh, work, working the stage, I say, even if you're not on a stage, using that space to your advantage, people then are focused on your message rather than what you're doing with your body when you're using it in the right way. And Tracy,
1: I've seen pacers on the stage before and that's yes. not working
2: the stage. No, 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 that's, no. That's
1: burning a hole in the that, ground, right? Yeah, exactly. Right? Thinking, okay. And
2: that's actually, people who do the pacing, the, those are the nervous people. Those are the people telling themselves, hey, I'm just gonna move around. This is gonna make me feel better, but it's making your audience feel so much worse because it. it I, I feel for those people, like just just slow down, just stand still for just a moment. And and yeah, that that that's they're getting rid of their nerves but not in the right way. So, do you suggest that
0: people get stay behind that podium if they have one, or move around? What do you suggest? Yeah, good question. What what,
1: what yeah. power poses should we be using? You know, <laughs> to
2: to make us feel strong inside. Sure. So, so the power pose um, comes from Amy Cuddy's TED Talk. Uh, our body language. Uh, influences who we are. And she talks about power posing being really open body language. So closed body language. We've all heard things about when we cross our arms in front of us, which obviously we wouldn't do in front of a group of people when we're speaking, but crossed arms. Or one that I thought was really interesting that she shares in that TED Talk is uh, putting your hand on your neck, which is something that that I've done. Again, not in front of a group of people, but when I'm talking one-on-one, I will put my hand on my neck a lot. And she says, that's one of the, the, biggest signs to the person you're speaking with that you are uncomfortable and not confident in what you're saying. So mm-hmm. I'm at the point now when I feel my fingers go to my neck, my mind immediately goes, stop, Tracy, don't do that anymore. Yeah. So, so from a power pose standpoint, she talks about opening up our body language. She actually discusses the the benefit of doing a power pose prior To presenting something, so you've got your own time five minutes before you're going to go on stage or in front of a group of people. You do uh, one of them is the Wonder Woman pose. You know we remember that you stand. (laughs) That's (laughs) right. That's right. Hands on the hips, or or you do uh, you sit in a chair and stretch out your legs and put your put your hands behind your head, and you really stretch out your body. And what happens? There's there's science that backs this up. When we do that, we're building ourselves up to be able to deliver the best possible message to the group we're going to talk to she says that our testosterone level uh, raises so that's our dominance hormone so that's that hey I got this I can do this and then the other thing that happens when we do the power pose prior to talking with a group of people is that our cortisol level lowers so that's the stress hormone mm. so you've got your stress going down you've got that dominance factor going up you walk out on stage or you walk in front of that group of people and and your thought process is, Man! I know this message, I believe in it, and I got this. Then when you get in front of the group of people, you don't want to do the Wonder Woman pose. You don't want to do the power pose there, but you can still be using what I call power poses, which are just confident ways of using the space. So the original question, do we stand behind the lectern? Do we get away from the lectern? My personal opinion is you do what's comfortable for you. I'm not a speaker who can stand behind the lectern because I want to use the stage. I want to use that space in order to make better eye contact with people in order to build rapport with people. Others say, you know, I kind of need that. It makes me feel better. As long as you're still giving that great eye contact and, and even behind a lectern using gestures with your hands, your body language is supporting your message rather than detracting from the message.
1: What is your school of thought, Tracy, on using the lectern as a, a home base? Because I have, I've seen it done where they start at the lectern they feel like they need to walk and, I think, work the stage. So they'll work the stage and then they'll come back to home base there at the lectern for a little bit and they'll work the stage. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on that
2: strategy? My, my opinion on that is that if it if it seems natural to go ahead and do that. Not I've like seen, they're running back to look yeah, at their notes. Exactly. But you know what's interesting? <clears throat> What's interesting is that I've actually seen some very famous speakers go back to the lectern and you can tell that they're they're checking their notes very briefly, and then they continue there at the lectern and then they move on and they use other parts of the stage. And these are people that are really well known, like like the Les Brown type people. And and it doesn't detract from the message. So as long as the lectern's not being used as your life preserver, if you go back to it and you <laughs> grab onto it and you say, Okay, I can do this, I've got 10 more minutes, I can do this. It it's Shouldn't appear like that. It should just all be a natural flow. Excellent, excellent. Thank you for that.
1: So then, when we're continuing on this confidence boosting strategy, uh, one of the things that we learned in school was that we should start picturing people in their underwear, <laughs> picturing people <laughs> naked, and that's going to be the big confidence booster. I don't know about you, but if I try to picture someone. And naked, uh, it's going to probably make me giggle, make me laugh. (laughs) And depending on the audience, uh, no offense to our listeners, uh, it may creep me out a little bit. (laughs) And uh, as an audience member, I might be creeped out that that's what they're doing. That's right. That's right. So to avoid, you know, that, that. Awkward harassment uh, concept. What what should we be doing to build our confidence?
2: Sure, I definitely do not picture my audiences in their underwear. That that was a Brady Bunch episode for those of you out there that remember that fabulous show. Uh, So instead, what I do, and I'm able to get this accomplished within the first ten seconds, I find that person, or if I'm really lucky, those people in the audience who have very positive body language. So as I'm speaking, they are smiling. They are nodding. They are giving me that body language that lets me know I'm hitting the mark. Now, there are going to be other people in the audience that might completely agree with what you're saying, and they buy into your message, and and they're completely on board, but their body language doesn't show that. They're the people whose faces don't fall into that natural smile. In fact, they might fall into the frown. They might have the crossed arms. They might be slumped over. They could really be listening but they're not helping me when I'm in front of the group yeah. so I really tune into those people that that are supporting my message and it's not that I only look at them because I need that good eye contact with everyone out there but when I feel that I'm I'm losing the group a little bit I go back to those people and I check in am I still getting the smiles am I still getting the nods or am I losing them too and what do I need to change if anything at that point
0: excellent so now, sometimes, you know, I know when I do, do speeches and I feel like we're, they're going well, or ones that sometimes I either make the audience laugh or I'm able to talk about my family. I talk about my family a lot. Yeah. Um, or talk about my coworkers or something like that. Is
2: that something that's
0: kind of a good thing to do, or am I shooting myself
2: in the foot? <laughs> <laughs> uh, good question. I think that anytime we can bring a good personal story into whatever message it is that we're delivering, it makes it more real. So as I'm going out to speak with groups of people on Various topics. I always think about the topic beforehand as I'm preparing what I'm going to say. I think about the topic and I think, now, what's happened in my life, uh, preferably re- uh, recently, what's happened that I can pull that story in and it will pertain to the theme that we're discussing today. And I'm like you, Marjorie. I, I love to get the audience laughing because I've never had anybody when I finish who says, gosh, I wish you wouldn't make us laugh so much. I just hate <laughs> yeah. to laugh. You know, People like that and it engages them. So any way that you can bring the personal stories in and, and make your message more real and tie the two together, when people leave that presentation or speech that you've given, they will better remember your message when they can tie it to a story. We're, we're all the same. We remember stories. And when there's a message interwoven there, we remember that message much easier. Awesome.
1: I think where personal stories have bothered me in the past is when you have someone who tells a personal story that has nothing to do with the topic. Yes. Yes. So they're talking about their kid was slow getting ready this morning and dot, dot, dot. And then you're like, and that's going to relate to, and then they're like, well, thanks everyone for being here. And you're like, wait,
2: (laughs) why did you tell us about your kid? You know? Exactly. Yeah. It's got to be connected in order Mm -hmm. to make sense. And and quite frankly, the majority of people in the audience don't care about the story when it doesn't connect. (laughs) Right. You know?
0: And one of the things that always pan- makes me panic is when they say, you know, you're going to give a whatever number of minutes of speech and then we're going to take questions. Oh. <laughs> I am always afraid there's not going to be any questions mm-hmm. or, that there, the or, or
1: that there will be so many questions that you can't think quick on your feet. That's another concern That's that I have, right? That's the other problem right? time, yeah. So how, do we, questions. how <laughs> do we fix that? With the exception, I guess, of just taking Marjorie and I along for the road and, and being your support system, uh, which we'll, we'll do if any yeah. of your listeners out there want that to happen. But how do we get through that Q&A session and, sure. and survive?
2: Sure, So So there's got to be a balance between what each of you just said. So when we go to one end of that balance, we're going to have a little bit of Q&A time now and it, it's like crickets in the room. You know, you're not getting anything. One of the things I do at that point is I continue with the eye contact and I'm scanning the crowd to try to uh, lock eyes with someone that I think just based on my time with those people, hey, I can count on this person, I know she'll come up with something mm-hmm. and and probably 70 to 80% of the time that works. Nice. When it doesn't Great. work, we've got another 20 to 30% of the time and you're still getting nothing, then I will Again, make some sort of joke and say, hmm, so you know, you, you've got nothing here for me. Let me get it started because I have a question that comes up a lot. Maybe you're thinking this, but you just don't want to speak up right now. So I get the ball rolling, yes. and that usually gets it rolling. That's a great idea. Now, in order to not make it roll so much that we're over <laughs> with what was mentioned, where there are too many, uh, you can begin the QA session by saying, hey, we've got about 10 minutes here to go through questions and answers or, or however much time, and then really. Stick with that so that when you've got question after question after question, you as the speaker, you're kind of keeping track of that time or you have someone doing that for you. And then you're able to let one person know after those 10 minutes, hey, we're going to take one more and and what's your question so that the rest of the audience understands that's it. That was our 10 minutes.
1: Great. And I love also when you'll have that opportunity and the speaker will say, I'll stay afterwards if you have additional questions that you didn't get answered. Mm-hmm. And then if there's that opportunity to do so. So people don't feel like, oh, I wish I could have got my question in. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and they can do it in that informal mm-hmm. feedback. Or I'll, I like it also when the presenter will say, here's my contact information, my LinkedIn account, yes. or my Facebook account or my email. Mm-hmm. If you didn't get your question answered. Please feel free to reach out to me. I'd be happy to interact with you because sometimes the speaker has to mm-hmm. move on quickly. Of course, so, yeah.
2: of course. And then obviously the follow up to that, when you do give your contact information, is to make sure you reply in a in a timely manner. Oh, you know, if you get yes. seventy five questions from people and you're not replying at all, then then your name is equated to yeah, that person doesn't follow through. We're, we're not having her back, kind of absolutely. thing. Absolutely. So
1: we're comfortable now with public speaking. We've building some confidence. Yes. What are those big trip hazards we need to be careful on avoiding? something that maybe you've seen that's pretty common, and perhaps uh, we and our listeners might recognize that in ourselves when we're starting to move forward with our public speaking?
2: Uh, You know, one of the things are are some of the things, one of the things are, (laughs) one of the things is words and phrases that people say. They begin by saying, uh, bear with me through this, I'm not really a, a great speaker. So so right there, you're letting the people know, don't listen to what I'm saying. When they use the pronoun I more than they say we and us, you want to bring the audience in. When they say, I'm here today to talk about, or I've been asked to speak about, or I'm going to tell a story about, we don't need any of those things. Mm-hmm. Give your message, tell them what you came to say, and, and move on. Um, a, a, a pet peeve that I have with, with other speakers is when... The speaker tells the audience how to behave. So, uh, typically I'm with adult audiences, but occasionally I'm with kids as well. Y- you begin as the speaker by saying, this is what we're going to talk about today, which I just said is a no-no. You <laughs> shouldn't, <laughs> shouldn't start like that. But, but giving people rules and guidelines. You must put your phones away. Uh, you must do this. You must do this. It just, it turns people off and you have immediately begun the presentation in a parent-child mode. Again, even if they are children in the audience, kids don't always like to listen to their parents, so you don't want to be one of those people. So so those are some things that get a negative tone in the room. I think some of the
1: challenges I've faced personally is that I will drink too much coffee. I'm a big coffee drinker and I forget to switch to decaf. So I'll have too much caffeine. And then uh, there's a two-part problem with that. One is uh, the additional liquids in my body has promoted a biological response uh, halfway through my presentation. And the second is the caffeine has my rate or my pitch off where it would be a, a norm, and when I get done, I feel like you can see the audience—they feel like they've gotten off a roller coaster, you know, a little dizzy <laughs> because I went so fast. What about you, Marjorie? Uh, you know, honestly,
0: it's kind of t- play off your caffeine. Um, also, that one thing to avoid is, is milk. You know, cause oh, it'll yes. gunk up those vocal cords and make it a little bit harder to to read. Um, you know, the other thing that PowerPoint is one that I find is really tough. Um, so you, you don't want to be reading your PowerPoint, or at least that's what people tell you. But at the other hand, you want to make sure that your presentation is accessible to everybody in the room and if you don't read your PowerPoint if you have low low vision people or blind people in your audience they can't they have no idea what you're talking about so I'm always really sensitive when I'm in a presentation with um, a board member who's blind or something like that and people are saying well you guys can read that and mm-hmm. knowing that I don't have the time to read it to that person mm-hmm. um, that actually stresses me out when a speaker does
2: that <laughs> <laughs> well and and to go along with that I think what stresses me out is when speakers use PowerPoint as a, a workbook. Per se, those PowerPoint slides should be. There should be a graphic there. There should be, uh, you know, maybe two or three bullet points with with two to three words on each bullet point. That that is your your guide. It's it's almost like your outline. So a, as a speaker, I'm using that PowerPoint. If if I click onto the next slide and it is a picture of something, that's my cue. Okay, now is when I'm going to begin talking about this. It, it's not. the PowerPoint is not for. All of those words because Mm -hmm. people don't want to sit in the audience. Even people, you mentioned visually impaired people, which obviously they wouldn't be able to do that. But there are many people in the audience, and and I would be one of them. My eyes are not getting younger. So (laughs) I I don't want to sit in the audience and read everything up on that screen that's what the speaker's there for. Yeah, so, I, so give me the message. Tell tell me what you want to tell me. And and if after the fact, I, as an audience member, want more information on that, then we go back to the questions at the end. Uh, you know, as an audience member, I ask the question, when you were talking about ABC, uh, that really interests me. Is there, is there a source where I could get more of that information or is that directly from you? And, and, and find where you can get more information on that topic as the audience member here. As the speaker, be the person that that leads and not the person that is making them read. Yeah, (laughs) Don't make them read. (laughs) I feel like I've learned so much just
1: from you being here, Tracy. I really appreciate it. I'm wondering, just with all your experience, I know we have uh, just a few minutes
2: left. What is your biggest
1: pet peeve when it comes to public speaking?
2: You know, I I think that... One pet peeve that comes to mind that I just shared a few minutes ago is when that speaker tells the audience how to behave. Mm-hmm. And and just to go along with that, when, when there is an audience that isn't, I'm going to say the best behaved audience <laughs> and the speaker gets visibly irritated or frustrated. Mm-hmm. Uh, it happens. I'm with audiences a lot who are there, quite honestly, because their bosses made them be there. And so they come in and initially they don't want to be there. I, I see that as a challenge. I see that as, Hey, at the beginning of the day, I might have some folks in the room that don't want to be here. My goal is to wow them so that they they change their their frame of mind. I sure don't want a speaker at the front of the room who is frustrated because there are some people in the room who don't want to be there. Yeah, you talked about
1: building confidence. For me, one of my biggest tricks, I guess you might say, in the trade is uh, it's my my warm up music, which mm-hmm. no one else hears but me. But on <laughs> my like way that. to the presentation, yes. I have a go to song. It's mm-hmm. by Alicia Keys. It's "Girl on Fire." Yes, and it just I I sing it very badly at the top of my lungs in my car. <laughs> but for me, when I get there, I feel pumped. I feel excited. Uh, I feel confident. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for me, that's a, a great way for me yeah. able to do that. And then going back to practicing, I'm a member of Toastmasters International mm-hmm. here at a local club, so I get that constant practice being in front of a group and being yes. comfortable. And even whenever they're getting ready to introduce me, I always in the back of my mind. I'm singing, you know, they're on fire. <laughs> I've got this rocked out, right? <laughs> what about, awesome. what about you, Marjorie? Any favorite personal public speaking moments or tips? Oh, so, so my tip, and it's, it's horribly silly. I was,
0: um, I was in a, a youth camp years ago. It was Hugh O'Brien youth camp. So maybe somebody out there might recognize this, but I always do this chant to myself to be enthusiastic. You must act enthusiastic Aww. to be enthusiastic. You must act enthusiastic and say it louder and louder and louder until I'm actually feeling enthusiastic about whatever I'm doing, because almost all the presentations I do are at the end of the workday mm-hmm. or even like late at the end of after the workday yeah. and where you're just tired and you're drained. So that's, that's a tough one. Favorite public speaking moment though is a couple of years ago, I was actually able to give a presentation to my peers, other people who run reading services like I do, and um, actually gave some, uh, gave a talk about how, you know, my organization was struggling, had been struggling, how we got through some things. And one of my best friends in the organization, who didn't know a lot of the backstory of my organization, came up to me and she said, I'm so inspired. I know that if, if you guys can do what you just got through, then I know that I can do it too. And knowing that I made a difference for her, somebody who I hugely respect, really made all the difference for me. And it makes okay, I can do
2: this. <laughs> well, it boosts you up and you remember it still to this day. Yeah. So, so as you're singing your song and you're doing your, your mantra, that chant, you're also remembering that experience. And, and that's, that's what carries that confidence on from, from speaking engagement to speaking engagement.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. So thank you so much for being with us, Tracy. Um, Tell us where we can find you online really quickly. Sure. www.brightsidetraining.org. Excellent. And we'll have that linked in the show notes so that people can find you. Sounds great. Um, So thank you again for joining us. Thanks again, Natalie, for being here with us, with me. Glad to be here. Thanks so
1: much. And
0: all of you out there, thanks for joining us on 501 Crossroads. 501 Crossroads is recorded at the studios of Mind's Eye and is produced and hosted by me, Marjorie Moore and... Natalie Jablonski. And Mike Curtis is our sound engineer. Please, if you like this, go to iTunes or Stitcher or whatever your favorite app is and subscribe to us and then leave us some feedback. Um, that's That way other people might be able to find us, which would be fantastic. Um, you can find us on Facebook at 501 Crossroads. And thank you for listening. And remember, we're all working towards the same outcomes.